All right. Good morning, Transit family. How's everyone doing today? Good. How about that worship set this morning? My goodness. Let's hear it for the worship band leading us in adoration of Jesus. That was awesome. If I haven't met you yet, this is your first time here. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors. And as that video showed, we are continuing a sermon series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Turn there in your Bibles. And we've entitled the sermon series Kingdom Ethics is because the reason we gather is to fix our eyes upon Jesus and to come here and to behold him and be transformed more into his likeness. We want to gather here what we're seeking at the transit is to become followers of Jesus. And so in the longest recording teaching of Jesus, he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what King Jesus and his kingdom, this is what the king cherishes. This is what he values and this is what he wants for his people. And so therefore we've called the sermon series the, the ethics of the kingdom of God. And so if you were here last week, you know we talked about murder and anger. And this week we're talking about adultery and lust. So some of y'all, yeah. So um, quick disclaimer here, if you're new to the transit church, we go through, we try to go through the books, books of the Bible from the pulpit or large chunks of scripture from the scriptures, because if I was given the choice today, whether to preach this text or not, this wouldn't be necessarily my first choice, okay? And so what we're doing here is we're just posturing our hearts to see what, what does Jesus have to say about sexual immorality? What does Jesus have to say about lust? Not what Pastor Nick thinks, not what you think. What does the King of Kings has to say? And that's what we're going to see today, okay? And so before I say anything else, what I want to do is I, I want to just read God's word and go to God in prayer, and then we're going to dive in. Does that sound all right? All right, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard it was said, this is Jesus talking, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, Lord God, humbly. This is a heavy text. This is a heavy word for a lot of us to hear, Lord Jesus. And Lord, what we know is that the greater the love you have someone, for someone and the, the greater the danger they're in, the louder you shout to them. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that for those that are stuck in the cords of sexual addiction, that you would, you would break those shackles off of them today in Jesus' name. I pray you break off shame and condemnation, the lies of the enemy about how you view them and what you think about them, Lord Jesus. I pray from this pulpit, condemnation wouldn't come. The enemy loves to criticize and condemn and just leave us in our sin. You invite us out of our sin into newness of life, God. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would extend, you would help us to see the the nail-scarred hand of Jesus being extended to the sexually broken and saying, come with me and taste of the rivers of living water that will flow from your heart if you give your life to me. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that. You'd have your way. That we'd see your heart in this, God. And the enemy would get no stronghold or foothold this morning through this message, God, but you would speak louder than the voice of our enemy, Lord Jesus, and that you would truly set the captive free today, Jesus. 
have your way. Would you increase in our hearts and would I decrease up here? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, there's three things that Jesus teaches us about adultery. Three points to kind of carve out our time today, and we're just going to dive right in. The first thing we see, uh, well, the three things are this, if you're taking notes. Jesus teaches us the true definition of adultery, the ultimate destination of adultery, and the proper disposition of our hearts towards adultery. And the first thing we see is Jesus here gives us not a redefinition, but the truer, fuller definition of what adultery is. So let me quickly set the baseline here to start our time. So we're just kind of defining terms and all on the same page. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of of, of the biblical view of sex. We believe that God created sex, and he created it good. And God created sex to be between one man and one woman in the context of a covenant of marriage. That's the baseline, okay? So anything outside of that covenant marriage is seen as sin before a holy and just God. And like fire, God created fire. And like fire, fire in its proper context, the fireplace can provide warmth and light and pleasure. And you take that fire a centimeter out of its context, and you can burn your entire house down. Like something good that God created for our good when we sinfully and pridefully take it out of God's context and we decide to say, did God really say? Is it really that big of a deal? And then we bring utter ruin and destruction on our lives. And I could share stats. I could mention uh, uh, entire church networks that have exploded because of pastors' moral failures. I can talk about families destroyed because of sexual immorality. I could talk about generations ruined because of it. The dev- there's, there's a wake of devastation across the globe because of dem- the demonic view, the demonic hijacking of God's good intention with sexual intercourse. And so the implication of what Jesus is saying here is this. Is if you're married, there's only one person on the planet that you have desire for. As a man of God, there's one woman. There's one woman that walks the face of the earth. Her name is Jen. She's my wife, and my eyes are for her. And if you're single, this is the implication of the baseline we just set, and Scripture sets for us. You commit by the Spirit under the grace of God to strive to walk in purity before God and before others until you're married. And unfortunately, due to our sinful hearts, we kind of like to play games with God's law. And this is why Jesus is doing the refrain. We're going to see it six times in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this refrain last week. This is the second time he does it, and we're going to see it four more times. The refrain is, is this. Jesus says, you have heard it was said. And what Jesus is doing there is he's combating the pharisaical misinterpretation of God's law. And the misapplication, he's saying the Pharisees have told you, have, 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 have told you something that is not true of God and his law. But I say to you this, Jesus inserts a command of God, and what he's doing there, he's not pitting himself against God's law, he's pitting himself against our religious misinterpretation of it. And that's what we see him do with the seventh commandment, and thou shalt not commit adultery. And what we do with the seventh commandment, and we say don't commit adultery, we define it as just a, a physical act. We don't define it in regards to our heart. We like to keep God's law and God away from our hearts, away from our minds, and we just keep them at arm's length. And we saw this last week. What Jesus does is he takes God's law and he thrusts it out of our hands and he thrusts it to our heart. And he thrusts it to our heart. And so we say, we hear the seventh commandment, and we say, I've never once committed 
adultery. I've never cheated on my spouse. And so therefore, God, I demand acceptance into your kingdom because I've perfectly fulfilled this. You owe me, God. And what Jesus is doing is he's combating that pharisaical mindset that any human being on the planet can puff out their chest before a holy and just God and say that I've perfectly walked in righteousness. Jesus says the all-seeing God sees every thought that has flashed across your mind, every fantasy that you've entertained, every look that you've held for longer than a millisecond. God sees it all. He sees your heart. And what God is after today, I know this is a heavy message. It's going to be quiet like this the rest of the sermon. (laughs) God is after your heart because he loves you. And he has something far better to offer you than what the devil is offering you with sexual temptation. And he came to save you from that and to lead you. Jesus cried out in John 7, one of my favorite passages. He says, come to me. Everyone's drinking. And Jesus is kind of like at the kegger in a way, this party, saying, come to me, everyone who thirsts, and I'll give you rivers of living water. I, I have what you're looking for, and that's what we're going to conclude with. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Jesus combats this misunderstanding when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who simply looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus here changes the location of the act. He doesn't change the definition. The lustful look at another is committing adultery with that person. What Jesus is saying is that adultery, it starts in our heart, in our mind, before it ever recruits our body. And Jesus' understanding of adultery is this, is it sexual desire, lustful thoughts, lustful feelings for someone who's not your spouse. And the rebuttal is this, is, Nick, this is insane. Are you kidding me? Is this really that big of a deal? This isn't harming anyone. My secret habit that nobody knows about, my lust addiction, my gaze, those romance novels, whatever it is that you're feeding in your life, it's not harming anyone. It's just a habit. I was in a small group uh, a while back, a long time ago, with someone who uh, was, was, was struggling with uh, uh, pornography addiction, and they said this. They said, pornography is like a habit, like brushing your teeth is a habit. Just brushing your teeth is a, you know, a good habit, and pornography is a bad habit. And I said, some of this effect, I didn't say this harshly, but I said, mm, try again. Um, that's, not, that's not it at all. I didn't say it like that snarky, so I don't want to be snarky. Um, but I said this. I said, the danger of pornography is this. It's not just a habit like brushing your teeth. It's just a bad habit you need to break off. What pornography does is it, <clears throat> it, is, it does this. Let me, let me look at my notes so I don't get this wrong. It's the sin of viewing another human being made in the precious image of God as your toothbrush. That's what it is. That's why it's insidious. One New Testament scholar defined lust as this, staring with the intent to possess. Staring with the intent to possess, to take ownership of. So then when we're lusting after another, this is what's happening. The person we're lusting after no longer is a human being made in the image of God that we're called to love and to sacrificially lay down our lives for. No, that person becomes a thing and an object that we have taken ownership over to wield for our sinful pleasure. That's what lust is. It's an act of theft, and violence against the Imago Dei, those made and crafted in the image of God. It's taking something that's not ours to take and violently shaping and conforming that person to our image, not to God's. The greatest commandment Jesus gives us is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then the, and then the, the horizontal reverber, reverberation of our love for God is this, 
Now love others as I have loved you. We are called to love others, not lust after them. We're called to sacrificially give to, to others, not take and exploit from them. And that's what lust is, is exploit, exploitation. It's taking something that's not yours for your own pleasure. It's a lordship issue. That's the insidious nature of our lust. And so returning to <clears throat> the rebuttal of my sexual addiction isn't harming anyone. My, my look isn't harming anyone. Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says this. Flee for, from sexual immorality. Basically, run for your life. Run for your life. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What that's saying is you're harming yourself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And the line I want to hone in on here, there's a lot here to unpack, is this, is uh, the sin of sexual immorality is a sin against our own blood-bought, spirit-filled body. And one of the reasons why, I think one of the implications of that would be this, is that when we are lusting after another, we are rewiring our brain to view humanity the way the demonic does. So hours and hours spent viewing things that we know grieve the Holy Spirit is, is this. It's, it's, it's downloading and installing the latest software update from the pit of hell onto our minds. That God in Romans 12 has said, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so you can comprehend what God's will is. And then 1 Thessalonians 5 says, this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. And so when we have an unchecked, unrepentant addiction to lust, it's literally training us to harm others by rewiring our brain with how we view them and our relationship towards them. That I am Lord and everything else exists to serve me. I am Lord and you are toothbrush. And you exist for my pleasure and my will, not the Lord's will. I want to craft you and mold you into my image, not the Lord's image. And more than that, we need to understand in this text too is that, you know, Jesus Christ, we talked about this earlier, is that for him to be our Savior also means for him to be our Lord, that when, he, when we receive his precious forgiveness of all of our sins, all of our sins, that he also takes ownership over the house and we become filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what 1 Corinthians 16, 18 through 20 is that um, sexual immorality in a way is vandalism to the temple of God subjecting the Holy Spirit to things that the Holy Spirit never wants to view, the, the very things that God has redeemed us from, and we maybe call entertainment, and now the Holy Spirit is being subjected to that. It grieves the Holy Spirit because it's vandalism. Uh, and even scientifically speaking, we know that addiction in regards to lust rewires the neural pathways of our mind. And by God's grace, by God's grace, is he can set you free today. This is weighing heavily on you. He can set you free today. He's done it in my life, and I'm going to share my story at the end. Jesus Christ doesn't come to, re, to, 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 to heap condemnation over us. He brings conviction because conviction leads to life and repentance. Okay, and we're going to get there in a little bit. So Jesus tells us the ultimate de the definition. The definition is lustful intent, thoughts, feelings, looks for someone that's not your spouse. And Jesus says, if you've done that in your life, you're an adulterer. You're an adulterer, right? That's what he's saying. That's the true definition of adultery. And then secondly, Jesus shows us that adultery, inner adultery, unchecked lust in our hearts has a destination. The second thing he shows us is the destination of adultery. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus' word is not mine. And twice Jesus says, twice Jesus says what he's getting at is this. Unrepentant, key massive word, don't miss this. Unrepentant sexual immorality leads to hell. It's a destination to hell. He says it twice. Your whole body, if you do not fight this, will drag you into hell. Basically what he's saying is if, if you open up your Google Maps and you punch in the destination hell, eternal separation from the goodness of God, and you want turn-by-turn directions on how to get there, Jesus is saying the, the, the voice on that GPS will say unrepentant sexual immorality is how you get there, is what Jesus is saying in this text. I was at an Acts 29 conference with uh, former lead pastor Jeff Toomer in Orlando a while back, and um, uh, Russell Moore was the, chief, the keynote speaker of the event. And he said this line, and it stuck with me ever since. And when he said it, uh, all the pastors gasped with how profound this was. And Russell Moore said something to this effect. He said, we have to understand that the enemy is not just trying to tempt you. He's trying to adopt you. He's not just trying to tempt you. He's trying to own you. He's trying to rip you from the clutches of your savior in a way what russell moore is saying in a way is that the devil has the same end goal as jesus spending eternity with you as your lord the enemy is not just trying to tempt you this is not just one fleeting thing we have to understand where this originates and what it leads to it's hell itself and how the how the devil drags us there what scripture makes remarkably clear is through unrepentant sexual immorality and the imagery jesus gives is this is is with with just a, a lustful look or a lustful act it's as if there's these hooks that are being loosed from hell they have a rope attached to them and they find their origin in hell and they get boom they get fixed when every you know with same with anger and same with lust all of us are dancing in the minefields every day in a fallen world like you you can't stop the hooks from coming what you can do, though, is, is, is choose to immediately repent when they try to land. So those hooks get firmly rooted in our eye or firmly rooted in our hand. This is, the, I think, the imagery Jesus is getting at. And he's saying you have to understand that, that that gaze and that act and that continual gaze and that continual act and that unrepentance deeper and deeper and deeper is you have to understand that there's a, there's a hook in you with a rope on it, and on the other end of that rope are a bunch of demons. And you're dragging hell up into your life through unrepentant sexual sin. And that is also trying to drag you into hell. And, and I think that's what scripture makes clear in, in empirical evidence of just looking at uh, well-known Christian leaders who have unchecked uh, sexual sin in their life is, is literally they've dragged hell into their lives. Reputations, ministries, families destroyed, churches divided. It is a wake of destruction and we see the picture here you know every adventure movie you see indiana jones or nicholas cage or whoever your adventure the rock or you know whatever it's like there's always a scene where they're stuck by like a cord right that's like wrapped around their leg and it's tied to like a carriage or a car or something that's fallen off of a cliff and it's dragging them to destruction but what do they do is they hack and they hack and they hack and they swing and they claw and they fight because they know that if i don't break this cord of iniquity i go to my death and that's the imagery that Jesus is giving us. This is where sexual sin always leads. It has a destination and it's far from good. Proverbs 3, 5 through, uh, Proverbs 5, 3 through 5 says this. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. 
But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Watch the destination of adultery. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's the destination of unrepentant sexual immorality. It's death. It's death and destruction, both in the here and now and forevermore. And the rebuttal is, man, this is so harsh and mean of Jesus. How could Jesus in love say this to his followers? Where the bottom line, if the threat is real and the, the origination of temptation and the destination of temptation is real, then this is the most loving thing Jesus could ever do for us. Anyone here who has a secret that they haven't told anyone, and the enemy's got him gripped in shame and condemnation and addiction. You can't break free. God has grace, God has love for you, and God has freedom for you. But the best thing Jesus can do is say, hey, you're playing with fire, and I want you to be set free. Why? Because I love you. A while back, I've shared this illustration before, but it bears repeating. Uh, growing up, my family, we go to the Outer Banks. And uh, a couple years ago, a few years back, uh, I was on the shoreline soaking in the rays, and my brother and his wife and my nieces were in the ocean playing just like beyond the wave break. And um, all of a sudden, behind their back, they can't see it. They're kind of facing the shoreline. Behind their back, there's a, a fin that goes up like that and goes back down. And I see it. And then I hear the Jaws music. Donna, 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 Donna. You know, and I'm like, I was like, it didn't go like this. It wasn't like a cute dolphin fin. It was one of those sharp pointy ones. But I didn't want to get made fun of the whole trip and like cry wolf and shark when there was no shark. And so I was like, you know what? <laughs> My brother probably was like mad at me for this. Um, I'm not going to freak out just yet. I'm not going to freak out. Let's just see how this plays out. And um, <laughs> next thing I know, I see two fins, and I see that it's a massive shark. I see the tail fin, and I think like a, what do you call it, a dorsal fin maybe? And this, this thing is massive, and it's thrashing, like water splashing behind them. And this thing clearly is like, like just having a, a feast on a school of fish behind them or something. And so what I did in that moment is I said, you know what? They're having a lot of fun. I really, I, I really don't want to be a fun buster. Are shark attacks that big of a deal? Can you, can you just like bounce back? Like I know you might lose a leg or something, but you can kind of bounce back from that, right? They're having a really good time. And I don't want to be prudish, right? I don't want them to misinterpret my love for them as shame and condemnation. So I'm not going to say anything. My brother would punch me in the face if he knew that was that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like no chance. With the whole, the whole shoreline erupted, screaming at the top of their lungs, we can see something you can't see, and you're swimming with sharks. Get out for, the, for your life. Get out. And so they, 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 they ran out like, like someone was about to get attacked by a shark. All right? It was crazy. It was crazy because from my vantage point, I could see something they couldn't see. And the bottom line is this, the greater love you have for someone and you see the greater danger they're walking in, the greater the severity and the volume of the screams that you're telling them to repent and to get out. Because I, Christ can see something we can't, we can't see. And that leads to our third point, is the proper disposition of our hearts towards lust. Jesus teaches, his, teaches us the, the true definition of adultery, that we've all fallen short. We all need grace. We all need grace today, right? And we're all going to receive that grace, that fresh forgiveness. If we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And um, what Jesus 
says is he teaches us that definition. He shows us the destination of where it leads to if it goes unchecked and it's un, there's unrepentance. And then lastly, what he teaches us is our heart disposition. And what's wild here is the disposition Jesus calls his followers to have towards lust, towards sexual immorality. He uses violent imagery to describe what it's going to take to rid this out of our lives. The imagery is, is gruesome. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you don't want to go to hell or to pull hell up into your life, here is a spoon and here is a saw. Now get to work, is what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And uh, obviously, Jesus is not here speaking literally. Otherwise, he would have a billion-soul army of pirates walking the face of the earth with people with hooks and eye patches and, you know, all that stuff. Um, he's not speaking literally. Jesus is making a point. And the point he's making is that we have to take drastic measures to put sin to death in our lives. We have to take drastic measures because what Scripture is crystal clear on is that the call to become a Christian is a call to fight. And, 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 and not to, to fight the sin that, that's out there, to fight the sin that's still in here. And what Scripture is crystal clear is that either we will kill in, indwelling sin or it will kill us. It's, it's a theolo- the theological term is mortification, mortification of sin. And, and what that means is this. It's when believers, under the grace of God, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, put to death lingering sinful impulses that arise within them. Put to death. This is how Scripture describes it. Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death, you see that language? Put to death. It's a violent imagery there. Put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Those are your two options. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Colossians 3, 5 through 6 says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And then where is, it, where is the first thing that, that um, the Holy Spirit leads with through the Apostle Paul? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then watch verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. And 1 Peter 2.11, beloved. You're beloved today. Jesus loves you. That's why he says this. That's why we're gathering here today. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There is a war going on for your very life and it's indwelling sin. It's your sinful flesh and your unchecked passions that God, by the Holy Spirit, is calling you to take up arms against. Declare war on that which has declared war on you. And so I'm going to wrap up with five ways that we can kill our lust. Five ways to kill our lust. I don't often like kind of giving like your five highly effective steps to your best you now kind of stuff. Uh, if you know me, I, I always avoid that. But the bottom line is this. this is what I want to say is this, is that repentance looks like something. Repentance looks like something. It looks like something. There's decisions that before a holy God that you, where you're seated, not all of you, but some of you are going to have to make today based on this word. You're going to have to make repentance looks like something. It looks like a turn. It looks like multiple turns. It looks like making different decisions. In John 8, when the woman is dragged out in public, she's caught in adultery Hopefully you all know the story, all the religious leaders who think they've never lusted, they've never committed adultery, they all got stones and they say, Jesus, your law says stone this woman, that we should kill her because she's a sinner. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And they all start dropping the stones. And that has been the best sound that that woman's ever heard in her life is the sound of all those stones dropping because the cross completely levels the playing field. 
completely levels the playing field. The sound of those stones hitting the, hitting the, uh, the dirt, bump, 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 bump. And then it's just her and Jesus left. And Jesus says, Did any, does anyone condemn you? She goes, no one. And Jesus says this. He says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. He, he pronounces forgiveness over her, but he doesn't leave her there. Then say, I don't get me. Then he says, he goes, go now. And, and with that new forgiveness, that new life I've given you, leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. Walk in newness of life. Don't go back what I've just forgiven you from and delivered you from. Now begin to walk. Not perfectly, but begin to walk in newness of life. And so five ways we can kill are lust. One, let's kill our lust by seeing it the way Jesus sees it. We have to see our lust the way Jesus sees it. What's crystal clear is Jesus doesn't condone it. He doesn't celebrate it. He doesn't coddle it. He commands you to kill it, is what he says. He commands you to kill it. He demands that we declare all out war against it. This quote by Frederick Bruner is worth the price of admission right here. Uh, Jesus does not advise cautious, gradual action. He counsels surgery and immediately, watch this, he does not advise band-aids, he commands amputations. Woo! I saw that in the office earlier this week, and I, and I said exactly what I just said in response to that. I was like, that's good right there. He does not advise band-aids, he commands amputations. Hebrews 12.4 puts it this way, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And so my question, application question before we move on to the next point is, is do we see our sexual immorality this, as, as, as this dangerous? Is there any sense of urgency in our fight? Or better yet, are there any scars in the battle? Is there a fight? Not a perfect fight. Like if you ever watch MMA, I, I used to watch MMA back before I went to bed at like 8 p.m., and I had three kids, but you see that like, like the, the victor sometimes is a dude who's got a face that's like swollen, a black eye, his nose is facing this way. And then it, like he got beat up, but he was in the ring for five rounds. And then the ref comes and, and you're like, who's going to win the fight? And then the dude who's all, who's all bloody and broken, he raises his hand in victory. See, that dude looks like he lost. Yeah, he went down a couple times, but in the end he won because he kept on swinging. He got up. He was, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, we're going to, we're, we're not, I don't know if any of us are going to be moonwalking into heaven. Like, I got it. Jesus is saying, we're going to come broken and limpid and limping and busted in our war against the world, the flesh, and the demonic. We're going to come into the, heaven a hot mess, but thankfully we're going to get there. But we got to keep swinging, church. We got to keep swinging. Are you swinging? And what I do want to say is this, is that if you aren't evidence of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, is that you now have a battle against sin. Evidence of you being a follower of Jesus is not perfection. It's the fact that you hate the sin and you're trying to put it to death in your life, even though you're not getting 100% victory over it yet. But if there are no scars, and if there is no swinging coming from your shoulders against this, I want to encourage you with all the love I can muster to give your life to Jesus, because I do not know if you are a follower of Jesus. And I have to say that. If there is no fight... If there is no honesty, if there is no repentance, Jesus gives a condition. He says, if you don't fight, that's an evidence that you don't have Jesus, the, the, the Holy Spirit. In. And I'm not condemning those brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ who are swinging and they're fighting. I'm saying that you're, you're, not, you're, going, you're, going, you're sinning with a smile on your face, not swinging. Not, you're, you're being dragged, you're fighting the whole way. And yes, yes, you might fall. I just need to say that. 
in love to those who might not know Jesus here and to caution you to give your life and to repent because evidence of the Holy Spirit inside you is the Holy Spirit declares war on your impurities inside of you and you have to partner with the Holy Spirit. And yes, it's a process. We're all on a different journey, but I just want to throw that out there. Secondly, we have to kill our lust by living in the light. Kill your lust by living in the light. The simple truth is this. As long as you, if you have a secret sin or addiction, even if you're a your follower of Jesus and you're fighting, but as long as you stay secret in your sin, and as long as you attempt to fly solo and overcoming it, you will stay in bondage. Lust is like mold. Mold grows like wildfire in darkness, but once you shine light, sunlight onto mold, it, it dies, it kills it, it evaporates. 1 John 1, 6-9 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, look at this beautiful invitation to walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, watch this. If we live in the light, Jesus is faithful and he's just. He's going to forgive us of all of our sins and he's going to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so my question before we move on to the next point for you is this, is does anyone else know about your sexual struggles, your sins? Do you have anyone you can cry out to for help, anyone you're confessing to you? Listen, your greatest danger if you're wrestling with sexual sin and temptation is not getting found out. Your greatest danger is not getting found out. It's continuing to pull hell up into your life through unrepentance. That's the greatest danger. And I say that in love. And so here's the bottom line. If you, if you don't have anyone to talk to, you can come talk to your pastor first. You don't even know the, the 10 years I've been in ministry, what I've heard. You can't surprise me one iota. I guarantee you that. You can't. You just can't. And so come talk to me. If, you have a really, if you're in a community group, talk to your community group leaders. That's what they're there for. Talk to them. Say, hey, can we make a phone call this week? I have something I want to share with you. And then I want to extend this invite to, to God. We have a guys group. It's a, it's a lust redemption group at our church. We meet on Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoons. We've been meeting uh, faithfully each week, uh, a group of about four of us, for the last five years. And it's so much more than just meeting. It, it's, 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 it's the relationship that we've had where I can call them, they can call me, I can text them, and in those moments we have this brotherhood to confess our sins to one another, to live in the light as Christ is in the light, and then completely uh, uh, take the power out of our sin when we invite brothers and the presence of Christ into, into our sin. Uh, thirdly, let's kill our lust by starving it to death. Kill your lust by starving it to death. Romans 13, 13 through 14 says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch this, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its uh, desires. That line there, make no provision for the flesh, is like, hey, like in your struggle against whatever besetting sin you're wrestling with, don't roll out an all-you-can-eat buffet for that sin. What's amazing is how surprised that we can get with the power a sin and addiction has in our life, but yet we're continually feeding it uh, without any external measures. What I'm getting at, the question I want to ask is this, are there any external measures that you're taking to cut off access to sexual temptation in your life? Are, 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 like, it's really easy to get an accountability software on your phone and on your computer. You can lock up your phone, give somebody else the password. Are you taking any external measures to not make provision for the flesh, to roll out a royal red carpet and every day 
just to, to feast. If I'm going on a diet, I'm not going to keep uh, 20 gallons of ice cream in my freezer. I'm going to put a bunch of broccoli there, right? So make no provision for the flesh. Begin to starve this. Take external measures. Fourthly, kill your lust through armoring up spiritually. This is, this is key. Kill your lust through armoring up spiritually. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we see there is the origination of temptation. The battle that we're against is not just flesh and blood. It's the schemes of the devil. It says, it says our battle is not against flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what's clear in Ephesians 6 is that our battle is first and foremost supernatural, meaning this, the opposition, yes, is our sinful flesh, and yes, is the demonic, and our victory is found, so if the opposition is supernatural, then our victory is found in the supernatural strength that God provides. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the strength of his might. I think in regards to temptation, what that could be interpreted as is being strong in the Lord is this, is every temptation that comes your way is an opportunity to worship Jesus. Every temptation that crosses your bow is you get to call on the King of Kings and be strong in the Lord and by the Holy Spirit wage war against the flesh and say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Because I was, I'll share more of my story uh, at the end, but I was in a recovery group. I was in a 12-step group for a couple years a while back. And something that they would say drove me nuts. You have to make daily phone calls and go to meetings and all this stuff is they would say, I'm powerless over lust. I'm powerless over lust. And it always didn't resonate with me. There's things that the recovery community gets right and there's things that they, I think they get wrong and that's why I ended up, ended up leaving. But, but here's, here's the bottom line. If there's any group of people on the planet earth that are not powerless over lust, it's the follower of Jesus. In my, in my flesh, in my flesh, I'll, get, I'll be a filet of fish sandwich for the demonic. But by the spirit of Christ, who is seated over every ruler and authority and power and dominion, that thing can't even touch me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not powerless because I know a guy. His name is Jesus. And by the spirit, he's present with me. And by his strength and by his might, when supernaturally I reach out to him, all of a sudden the fight totally changes. And I've read all the books, and what's shocking to me is in all the Christian literature is they don't once mention this. They don't mention the demonic, how this could be demonic. Holy smokes, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4. How did he fight? Man, he quoted God's word. He armored up. He knew it. And that's, he, he fought the lies with the truth. And he resisted the devil, and the devil fled from him. And he was our model for how we're to fight. And we're to armor up. We got to swing back. We got to swing back, but we, we don't fight from the low ground. We fight from Ephesians uh, 2, 6, the high ground. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Because there is a, a, this, is what I'm, this is what I'm getting at. I used to be, believe a lie when I was stuck in uh, my addiction to lust. I used to believe a lie that, I, that, that, that once an addict, always an addict. That's what they tell you in recovery, that you're going to have to go to meetings until you're 80. No redemption, it's just you're, you're cursed. And you pronounce a curse over yourself, and you, you identify yourself with your... Uh, your addiction. And the lie is this, I'm never going to get free. I'm never going to walk in victory over this. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from the back, because I'm walking in, in freedom by the grace of God from this, because of what Jesus has done. That's a complete lie, and that's what I'm getting at, is that, is that um, uh, uh, our strength, when we begin to walk in constant, close communion with Jesus, which is what deliverance is onto, then and only then do we have the power to 
to, to conquer this. There's a lot of other things we need to do, but it's walking shoulder to shoulder with the King of Kings with everything that crosses our bow. Anger, inviting Jesus into that. Anxiety, worry, inviting Jesus into that. Temptation to lust, inviting Jesus into that. Invite the King of Kings into that. And um, what I wanna, lastly, what I wanna say is this, is that um, for some of you, you might have a supernatural compulsion there might, be, like, there might be a heavy, heavy compulsion to certain behavior, and that might be demonic. We have a, a prayer team, an uh, inner healing and deliverance team here. I want to extend an invite to you. If you have been swinging with everything you have, you've been doing everything, and you just can't get free from the clutches of this sin, and you've been fighting, you can't find it, like, come talk to me. If you're a girl, talk to Kristen, and we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. We've seen Jesus do amazing things. When he says in Luke 4 that the Spirit of God this, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit anointed him to bind up the brokenhearted and, and to, to liberate those who are in captivity. We're seeing him do that, and that's part of my story, what he's done for me. So I'll call up the band, and I'm going to um, band you coming up here. And then my last point is this, is we need to kill our lust with white-hot zeal for the Lord. White-hot zeal for the Lord. At the end of the day, if we're here today and we're wrestling with um, sexual immorality and addiction in our lives. We need to ask the question, why ultimately do I want to be free from this sin? Why do I want to be free? Why do I want the chains to be broken off of me? Matthew 5, 8 in the Beatitudes says this. I love this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So the prayer today, transit family, the prayer today is, no, Lord, uh, just take this from me, take this bondage. Like, yes, pray, create me a clean heart. But first and foremost, let it be, let the, let the, the, the heart cry come out, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to feel your presence. Uh, I know sexual sin throws, uh, throws a bunch of mud on the windshield. And it blurs my vision of, of who you are and what you've called me to and your will for my life. But, but purity of heart is like the Windex that just helps me to see you clearly and, and doesn't, doesn't hurt and, 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 and corrupt my communion and my fellowship with you. And so just like, watch this, just like adultery has a destination, so does purity. Purity of heart has a destination and it's the joy of the Lord. It's the presence of God. And so when Jesus is shouting out and he's saying, turn, repent, cut it out, saw it off, do what you got to do. He's saying that, that destination, you're on a highway to hell. That leads to hell. And he's saying, turn, but turn to what? To a new direction, to a new life, to new joy, a new presence, a new destination. Where now you can, instead of pulling hell up into your life and the misery and the shame and the condemnation and the guilt, you can pull the joy of heaven down through purity of heart and the freedom Jesus brings. And I'm living proof of it by the, by the sheer grace of God. In October of 2019, God set me radically free from an addiction I could never shake. I was at a conference. The Holy Spirit came upon me in power. Where his spirit is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And the presence of God came upon me. And listen, I was, I was swinging with everything I had. And there, and I was in, I mean, I can't even tell you how many nights in prayer crying out to God, sobbing, Lord, you have to take this from me. You said in Romans 6, this will no longer have dominion over me. And I feel like it has dominion over me. You've called me to be a pastor. This is, I, this disqualifies me, God. You have to take this. I can't do this. I need help. I don't know what's going on. I need help. And on October 2019, he answered that prayer. 
he answered that prayer. And by the power of the Spirit, he enveloped me in his love. Conviction came over me. I had a tear-filled, gut-wrenching confession and repentance to my wife. She knew, she knew, all, she knew all of it. Jeff, like the, the, the elders knew all of it. I could make it a year, make it six months or whatever, but I just couldn't, I couldn't walk in victory over it. But then I experienced the embrace, the conviction of God, and then also with that, the Holy Spirit coming upon me, also I got released from a lot of demonic oppression that I didn't know that I had or even that believers could have, and he set me free from that. And when that demonic oppression lifted and left, guess what left with it? The addiction. And also the shame and the condemnation and the, the suicidal thoughts that I was wrestling with, it all left. And I can only testify to what I've seen and heard. This is true of my life. And so, so, then, so then I'm saying, yes, hallelujah, you've set me free. But what did Jesus set me free onto? And what I want to tell you is this, is the call of God to you is this, is what I tasted and saw of his presence was that in his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And when you just get a taste of what God is really like, it ruins you for anything else. It ruins you for anything else. So then, so then when my family, like last night, they all go to bed at like nine and I can't go to bed, what I do now is, is last night, I seek the Lord. Why? Because where his presence is, is where I want to be. There's life, there's love. He meets me there in worship and in praise and in adoration. He didn't set me free. He led me to living waters that I didn't know were still available. And so the only cure for your temptation, the only cure for your addiction is understanding that God has sweeter waters to offer you. That he has something far better to offer you than what the devil is offering you. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, newness of life. Nothing. You can take it from a man that used to dance with the devil and now has been set free from it, walking in, in, in total. It doesn't even, I don't even know where it went. I don't even know, I, I didn't even know this much freedom was possible. And now instead of chasing after that, I'm chasing after the Lord. And he has, and it's all his grace to me. And this is the invitation in Isaiah 55. This is what he says. This is what he says to you. I know it's been a heavy message, but don't, let's not miss God's heart in this. I'll conclude with this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Do you realize in your sexual addiction, you're thirsting for God? I think it was Blaise Pascal. He said, every man who walks into a brothel is searching for God. In your thirst for, for pleasure, and your thirst for, for, for quenching that desire in you, it's, it's for God. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money. If you're spiritually bankrupt, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come as you are, come in your sin. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, come just as you are before the throne. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. That's God's call to any addict today. You're laboring, you're spending money and time on things that all you know don't satisfy you. And the cry of, heart, uh, the cry of God to you today is this, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. The Lord says you, yes, you. And I know everything about you. I know all the secrets about you. I know all the struggles about you. Yes, you, you come to me. Because that's who I want to fellowship with. That's who I want to embrace and love. That's who I want to cleanse. That's who I want to forgive. That's who I want to embrace. Yes, you come to me and you will have life. So let's go silent. Let's pray.
I'll give you a moment to respond and I'll close us with prayer and then we'll worship our King. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's the refrain where you tell those who are wrestling with shame and condemnation, they think they're unworthy. They think that you hate them and want to keep your distance from them, and yet you scream at the top of your lungs, you, yes, you, all of you, come to me. That's the invitation of the Father to us today. Bring that messy heart to me. The very work Jesus Christ came to do is to give us new hearts, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it grieves his soul when we don't come to him with our sin. It grieves him. He died to heal us. He died to cleanse us. And the only way that's possible is if we open up our hearts to him and give him what he died to take from us, our sin, our sexual impurity, our addiction, our shame, our condemnation, all of it, all of the filth. Jesus says, that's the very work I came to do, was to take that upon myself so that I could give you forgiveness and freedom. And would that happen today by your spirit, God? Oh, would, we, would your kindness lead us to repentance, God? Come, Holy Spirit. Break off. If there's any condemnation that's been spoken over anyone, Lord God, forgive me for that. Break it off of them in Jesus' name. But I do ask, Holy Spirit, you come and you sweetly convict because conviction leads to Jesus, which leads to life. So help us fix our gaze upon Jesus. And I pray, God, that um, we would leave here knowing your love, Lord God, knowing your love, seeing your kindness, and saying yes to the invitation to turn from our sin. And what an easy decision it is to make when we behold you, God the God of all glory, who says, follow me. Nothing holds a candle to the joy that's found in knowing the living God. Nothing holds a candle. For those of you that have never tasted and seen the goodness of God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you show them, God. Come, Holy Spirit, let them taste and see of your goodness. And may it be your goodness, your kindness, your love that causes them to laugh in the face of temptation because you are far better. You're far better than anything this world can offer us, God. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way. And by the empowerment of your spirit, your grace that empowers us, Lord, help us to walk in newness of life. Give us the boldness and courage to come clean, to have conversations we need to have. Give us the courage to take steps we need to take, God. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would take glory in our lives, God. We want to follow you. We want to live our lives to glorify you. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives and do whatever it takes, God, to set us free from any, any foothold the devil has in our life, Lord God. So we love you. We thank you, God. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.